The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Kids, don't eat that yellow snow. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 425 with guest Lee Zukit, recorded live Tuesday, February 10th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now, offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who just completed a 12-step program for compulsive talkers, on and on and on, Carl Franklin. I call my friends to play. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. In New London, Connecticut, Richard is at the MVP Summit, uh, so he's not here for the intro, but he'll be here in just a minute for the interview. Uh, the reason I'm not at the MVP Summit is because my flight was canceled. Why? Hmm, why do they cancel flights? Oh, weather? Yeah, we are having a severe nor'easter. That's, that's, uh, do you see the movie The Perfect Storm? Yeah, that's a nor'easter. That's warm air from the south combined with Arctic air from the north, and it just turns into lots of nasty stuff. So my flight was canceled, and then they had me on another flight that was happening right in the middle of this storm. And I said to myself, you know, there's no way I'm getting out of here. So I went down to use my car and uh, took one look at it and said, hmm, three feet of snow in back of a Prius. That's not going to happen. (laughs) anyway that's what we're doing this week richard is uh out there and i'm here snowed in so we'll be here with you for the next hour but let's get into better know framework better know framework this week i'm going to talk about the system.windows.controls.web browser class now this is the first control we've done in wpf um, the system.windows, of course, is WPF, Windows Presentation Foundation. System.windows controls is where all the controls are. And this is a web browser. That's right. There's a web browser, a new web browser control just for WPF applications. Yay. And it's pretty awesome. And you can probably expect me to talk about more uh, Windows Presentation Foundation controls in uh, later shows. 
that's all I got for you today. Uh, stay, stay warm if you're in the Northeast, and if you're in a warm climate, I hate you. <laughs> uh, Richard's time to introduce our guest. Lee J. Zukit is originally from Ohio, graduated from OSU in 1994 with a BS in astrophysics and a minor in mathematics. He uses none of that, unfortunately, instead has been designing and implementing database applications for over 14 years. He moved to the Bay Area in 96, just as the internet boom was really starting to take off, and moved to Phoenix just as it popped. After one and a half years, he moved to Seattle, where he still resides, and joined Microsoft in December 2008. In his career as a developer and consultant, he's worked with Fox Pro 2.5 and 2.6 for Windows, Visual Fox Pro 3 and 5, VB 5 and 6, ASP and ASP.NET and .NET. A few other various technologies he's worked with along the way are SQL, a smattering of early biz talk, and Microsoft Surface. In early 2005, he started to work on a project that took the Customer Care Framework, CCF 2.0 solution, and turned it into the product CCF 2005, 2005.NET 2.0 edition, and 2008. Welcome, Lee. Thank you very much. And before we started, Richard said, uh, Carl, you are about to hear of a product inside Microsoft that you never knew existed. And he's <laughs> right. <laughs> I was surprised myself. You know, you think we would know about all these Microsoft makes too much stuff and I only <laughs> ran across this just recently when Lee and I started chatting I'm like holy cow how did I not know about this so what is this customer care framework you speak of so yeah customer care framework came up through the uh uh was it the communication sector uh, at Microsoft hence the name uh customer care actually it was contact sender framework initially um and then when we went to 2005 made a product we renamed it to customer care framework um, it does much more than, than just the customer care side, though, and that's kind of a, it's a, it was a good name for where it started. I think it needs to be sort of expounded upon now. It's, uh, internally, we re- frequently refer to it as AIF, uh, Application Integration Framework. And what it does, and, and you've discussed this when you discussed CAB and Spring.net a little bit and, and things like that, is frankly it's a, it's a compositing application framework that allows you to pull in different applications. Um, and where, where CAB is usually smart parts and maybe a web page, CCF really leverages what we call hosted controls, which are pretty much smart parts, web pages, and even uh, external applications, which could be either .NET EXEs or old C++ applications, you know, Fox Pro apps, Power Builder. And we pull that literally inside our, our UI, and we allow you to integrate between them. So for legacy applications that you cannot integrate at the back end like you would with a modern, you know, modern system, we allow you to integrate them at the surface. So we tend to call that surface integration or presentation integration. Hmm. So am I thinking SAP here? Um, it, it's more of a framework that allows you to build what SAP sort of does itself. It allows you to integrate the existing applications that already, you know, the customer already has as opposed to trying to rip out and replace them all with one big system. Right. So rather than I'm sort of constructing my own SAP from various bits and pieces and this helps glue it all together. Exactly. And the big bang for a buck here is that you can, we can go into a customer um, and leverage what they already have, help them remove double entry, help them... Uh, um, what we call automate, automate tasks that are kind of just, you know, boring, uh, swivel chair or alt tab type tasks between applications. 
And we allow you to automate all that so that the user can get back to what they need to do, which is usually helping a customer or solving whatever problem that they're trying to solve. It really doesn't. And when you said customer care framework, I was thinking this was an internal, you know, customer service application or something. Why did they call it customer care framework? And originally, it came up uh, through telcos and stuff. So it was for their customer care uh, call centers. Oh, so okay. that was originally who they went after, and that's where the name came. I think from. you said that, and I missed it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's funny how these origin things, you know, just sort of grow out. Yes, yes. We when we when we took it from a solution to a product, we went through and renamed, spaced it, and tried to make it all, you know, a little more uh, pretty, if you will. And then there was there was discussion of uh, renaming it and stuff. You know, try to get away from the the CCF aspect because we don't want it just stuck there in that area. Um, and one of the things we came up with was, well, if you rename it, you really should rename space it as well. <laughs> Otherwise, it gets a little confusing for the developers. Right. Um, for various reasons, we ended up not getting around to that yet. So is this something that's available, like, for people, uh, for the general public consumption, or is it still being held on to internally? It's on MSDN, and you it can is. buy it. it. It's not something you're going to go down to Best Buy and buy. Wow. Um, but, yeah, so SI is like um, Avanad. I came from Avanad or Infosys or whomever, you know, could, could go and buy licenses or work, with, or work with Microsoft to get licenses and the customer uh, would just use it. And they would help implement. It's a fairly complicated uh, framework. You know, most okay. people just don't, most customers won't implement it all by themselves. Now, you're implementing things at the UI layer. Does that mean you're, you're not really talking to the components? You're sort of screen scraping and things like yeah, this? Yeah, that's, that's a term we don't, we don't like to use. <laughs> screen scraping is one of the things you may do, uh, given the technology of the application that we're integrating with. Mm -hmm. But if it's a web app, we, uh, we would use the DOM and talk to the, the text box or the, or, the, or the button or whatever. If it's a Win32 app, we generally try to use the AI accessibility interface. Um, if it's the, uh, uh, tell me about wait a minute tell me about that the i accessibility interface yeah so it's an interface that came out um, actually I think through MFC a few years ago um, so if it's a if it's a decently modern C plus plus app it'll it'll implement the i accessibility and mainly that was for you know people with um, know, handicaps and stuff so you know so you have a screen reader and stuff like that. And we hook into that, and it allows us access to the UI. Wow. A, yeah. That's a good idea. What a great idea. <laughs> and, and that allows us to – so any, anything that lives up to eye accessibility, and more and more apps are. matter of fact, Windows Vista jumped, made a huge leap towards it even more. Uh, Windows 7 is making a huge leap. Uh, Ver, uh, Visual Studio what, 2010 is adding a bunch of hooks into it for it for a lot of their testing routines. So we're going to try to leverage more and more of that as we go forward. Wow. Wow, that's cool. And so if you come across an application that doesn't implement that interface, you just go to the developers and say, here, do this. Uh, is, it a, is that what you do? Yeah, well, okay, so the, the key is to try not to ever touch the application that you're integrating with. Um, that was the whole point. The point is we, we're supposed to go in, we snap in the apps, we write what we call adapters uh, that do the integration between them without ever having to touch it. Now, it, if it if we have access to the source code and developers and they can tweak it, you know, that, that's, that, that much better. But you've got to be able to operate under the scenario where whoever wrote this app is long gone. Yes, that's the assumption. And also the idea that folks need to keep working. So their existing apps have to keep functioning while you're adding in your stuff. Exactly. 
exactly. I, I always I like the soft transition stuff. My, for me, when it, when we're building the new version of the app, I never want to take the old app away from them. I want them to abandon it of their own free will. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> right? That gradually they come to the conclusion the new app is better, and yeah. they don't want to use the old app. And one day we notice, you know, two years down the road, the old app isn't being used anymore. We can just shut it off. Yep. There you go. I just I hate migration dead drops. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's this yeah. point of today's the day right. we're yeah, all going to move over and things will be good. Yeah, which yeah. is almost a guaranteed way of saying, and then we'll move back and things will be bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or we'll use both for a long period of time. Well, I'd rather use both. Really would. You know that we that having the old app running and then being able to have the new app gradually grow and morph into a better way to work. So that we don't, we have, I like that long period of time. People can transition over to it. We can do things better. And bit by bit, we get new features in the new app that the old feature, the app's never going to get, and people will just migrate. Exactly. And, and that's one of the key points with CCF. So you, say you have, I'll just grab numbers out of my head, but say you have five applications that you need to integrate with. And right now, today, the customer or the user is either alt-tabbing between five apps and copying and pasting, or maybe even swivel chairing. Maybe they have three machines in front of them running these various five apps. Right. They are the interface between the applications. Exactly. And then you can slowly go, okay, now that we've integrated these, um, we've helped the, the user, let's, let's pick this application and upgrade it or, or make it service-oriented or a web page, you know, whatever you need to do. And then you can remove, you can take your time and do that one app right, then snap it in place, do some minor training, and move on to the next app. Wow. It seems really um, ambitious to be able to do that kind of stuff. And as Richard mentioned, I know SAP has been doing things like this for a long time, but, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it must take a special kind of developer to be able to take these existing things, not touch them, and integrate them so, so tightly. Yeah, you, I mean, so well, okay, so there's, there's, yes, the answer is yes, and then I'll explain sort of how we're moving to try to make it easier. The original uh, CCF, what we call adapters, and I mentioned that a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. uh, we now refer to them as legacy adapters. That was where that hardcore code was at. It's you know, usually written in C sharp, doesn't really matter, but mm-hmm. um, that, that system says, okay, now how do I talk to this app? And again, if it's a browser, okay, you can usually just use the, the, the DOM and stuff like that. But if it's an older, you know, say Power Builder or Fox Pro app, how do you talk to that if they don't, especially if they don't use the iAccessibility layer? Uh, sometimes you make Win32 calls. Sometimes that application has its own little API that you can access. So you really need to, to learn about that app and then how to integrate with it. And sometimes that can be really tough. It, it depends on the application. Yeah. Moving forward, what we've done is we've come out with uh, what we call Hosted Application Toolkit. And, and that came out with CCF 2008. This was a big jump because the original adapters housed both your um, business rules, well, your automation rules. How, do, how does one app talk to the other? When do they talk to each other? And what, what do they move between each other? Mm-hmm. And the gory code that says, now, how do I get information in and out of a text box right. or press that button? We've broken that into two pieces. The gory code, quote-unquote, is now what we call DDAs, data-driven adapters. Huh. And those... Um, can be written or extended or inherited upon as, as appropriate. Uh, but then the business aspect of it has been moved up into Windows Workflow Foundation. Ah. So instead of saying, um, so you kind of, gen- I'm not sure what the word is, generify the aspect that for a given application, 
if there's a text box, it's pretty much the same code every time. If it's, if it's a web app, it's the DOM, you get the ID and you get value out of it. If it's a Win32 call, you know, I, I need the control ID and you can get, well, I think, get text method on it. I forget the method name. Yeah. Um, so you, you take all those key ideas, like, like those pieces, put them into a data-driven adapter, and then you workflow the business aspects on top of that. Interesting. And we put the mappings between between the UI and the business rules in, into an XML file. So we call them bindings. So if you have something like first name on a web page, that might have idea of, you know, TXT first name. But for a uh, Win32 app, maybe it would be a control ID. So it would be some, you know, funky hex, hexadecimal number or something like that. And that's put in the XML, and it's loaded up. And so you can pretty much have a business user, almost a business user, sit down, you print out the screen page and say, this field is first name, that field is last name. And they go through with workflow foundation framework, and they draw out using, we have some built-in activities, and they fill in this application name, this field name, and then I want to get the data from that, and then the next activity is, is set. So where am I setting it? This application name, this friendly field name, and then it would move data from A to B. Wow. I just, I just see so many possibilities for this. Like, is it, what an interesting set of capabilities to just go and, you know, this is a great way to just scrape stuff off of any app. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's this, these gluing components. I, I took a poke into MSDN and, and there it is under servers, which is interesting that it's under servers. Yeah. I, I was asking people about that. Why, why certain things show up under servers and I, and I have, I still don't know. Well, find that. Uh, my rule of thumb for uh, for servers have been this is stuff you have to buy as opposed to services which are available for free. Got it. So the tools, like if you look at the tools and resources list, you'll see their SDKs, the .NET framework. We know that's all the free stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The stuff they want to charge for, they stick under servers. So obviously okay. you want to charge for the customer care framework. <laughs> Uh, and interesting that there was a 2005 edition, then a 2008 edition, which came out in like May of 2008, and then a 2009 edition that came out in October of 2008. Yeah, the 2009 was um, the 2008 was a big up, upgrade from t- the 2005. So it, was, it became .NET 3.0. We added Hat. Oh, so it's a little side side caveat. I'll try to swing back to that. Um, I had mentioned this in the original email that. CAB kind of came out, now I know people are going to freak out, CAB kind of came out of the <laughs> ideas of CCF. No, no code was used, but the, the whole, uh, you know, creating an application, compositing it, uh, I know those ideas have been around for a long time, but I think sure. that kind of kick-started it inside Microsoft. And then we, in turn, in CCF 2008, took CAB and pulled it back into CCF. Interesting. Yeah, as a developer, you never see it, but it actually sits on top of, of CAB. So, because uh, CAB was much more of a greenfield tool, right? Yes, yes. And where CCF really had its origins in bridging between existing applications. Yes, and and the legacy app, more well, I mentioned the Win32 apps and those external applications still tend to use more of the CCF um, code. Uh, where you're right, more of the web apps and the host of controls, the gr- more greenfield side uses the CAB system. All right. So, 2008 was your big jump. What was 2009 then? So 2009, they did, of course, just some, you know, uh, a bunch of incremental updates. And this is actually where I kind of, uh, I had rolled off the team for a little while, so I'm, I'm pulling back in myself on this piece. Did some incremental updates here and there in the main system, but the big two updates were two add-ons. So, so one of the key things here is CCF, everyone thinks, well, what happens once you've upgraded all your apps? Well, you, you don't need CCF anymore. 
um, which never really happens. But, <laughs> but CCS uh, 2009 adds DC, DS, oh, I always get these backwards, DCS, Distributed Component System. I have to admit, I, I'm, I, get, I always get that backwards. And MCE. Ah, you're forgiven. Yes, thank you. MCE, which is multi-channel engine, um, and that, that's a, that's an odd name for CCF because we've been using the term multi-channel for for other things for quite a while. What it really is is more of an MVP or MVC scenario that allows you to create your um, hosted control um, using, and then it, it and then it what it does is hosted control UI pops up, you fill it in, and it allows you to hydrate that and then pop it back up to a web page. Um, trying to use the whole MVP, MVC scenario where only the front end is different. I see. And it is typically we're building web clients uh, with this over top of our existing app? So, so CCF itself is a smart client. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, so it sits on the, on the client. You can use ClickOnce to install it, and it snaps in all your apps. Um, but there is a whole self-service portal aspect to CCF as well. You, you, can, you can see someone going to their telephone company, going to their website, looking up something, you're looking up their billing page and going, you know what, I have some real questions in the self-service page just isn't giving me the answers I need. And, of right. course, there's the phone number or a web chat maybe. You click on that. Uh, it kicks into the whole CTI, you know, c- computer telephony integration system, and kicks you over to an, a- to an agent. And the page you were on, if it was MCE enabled, could be hydrated down and popped up onto the, onto the um, agent's UI so they could see exactly what you had just been seeing. Have you done any integration with this yourself at customer sites? Actually, that's what I'm working on right now. That's what you're working on now. Yeah. So, what are what are some of the most what are some of the biggest challenges when you go to do that? The the there's two the two big ones. One is when you come across a really old application type, um, an older Fox Pro, an older Power Builder. Those ones that don't live up to eye accessibility, they're they're pretty much to, to coin it, use a coined term, uh, sandbox themselves. They're pretty locked down. They were never designed to have someone hacking at the UI like that. Um, and sometimes pop-ups. A lot of times you have a login screen that's a little bit of a, a pop-up, and that can be hard sometimes because it's sort of its own little window that's outside of the app. Oh right. For a yeah, you can't fight the modal. Yeah, that, yeah. So that can be a pain in the in the backside sometimes. Uh, web apps are usually pretty easy, uh, assuming they don't have too many pop-ups. Uh, and even then, we can grab them. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik. And when it comes to testing web applications, usually you have two options. Do it manually, which is hard and takes forever, or use automated testing software, which is quite expensive and rarely does a good job with modern Ajax applications. And all of this is destined to change with Telerik's new automated testing solution, Web UI Test Studio, which promises to bring a new era of automated testing to the masses. The product is offered in partnership with Art of Test, the experts in quality assurance technologies. Telerik Web Test Studio is specialized for testing ASP.NET applications, especially ones with rich AJAX and client-side functionality. What's more, it's fully integrated in both Visual Studio Team Suite and Professional Edition, making it easy for developers and QA to collaborate. To top it off, the studio ships with special wrappers for the Telerik Ajax controls, which expose control-specific test actions. Web UI Test Studio is ready for the future, with Silverlight testing features coming soon. Check it out at telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. I'm looking at the at the chart here in um, in this diagram that's in your in your white paper, uh, the product brief white paper mm-hmm. uh, at uh, 
Microsoft.com. And one of the things that caught my eye is the service agent. So, you know, this is a is a is a UI control tool, really, an integration platform. But what um what kinds of services are you are you accessing? Is this just for internal support? To, to maybe maybe make these things talk to each other? Yeah, I'm not sure which service agent. Are you talking about like the one? It's the distributed connectivity services. Oh, so, okay, yeah. So that's one of the newer things. So as I was mentioning earlier, sort of, a, you know, as you move your applications to the back, um, D- DCS will help you um, create your services. It sort of has its own version of UDDI built into it, uh, proxy settings, all that stuff is taken care of for you. And helps you move more to a true, a truer SOA scenario. Wow! <laughs> so they, 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 well, and I just cool. like this idea of we've been doing this by hand ourselves anyway, right? Yeah. No, as yeah. As soon as we have existing apps, we're building our little widgets all over the back end of server components where we can. Sometimes we're we're you know taking control of clients. Goodness knows I've done a lot of web page control and and contr- uh, window interception to try and make stuff like this work. This is just a toolkit for all these sorts yep, of things. Exactly. Yeah, the word the 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 send keys API comes to comes oh you give me mind. chills yep. now. That's <laughs> just evil. That yeah. is evil. It, so that, that, D, wait know, a minute, DDE? D is DDE sometimes? You know, I'm sure someone has. I've never had to use it myself. Oh. And, <laughs> God. I know people but, have you used know, DDE. Now you're talking like calls. Windows three stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, he was talking about you know the challenges of really old applications. That's some of the first crap that came to mind. You know, yeah. sure. DDE network DDE, and I don't think I ever got the string right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, remind me to tell you the story of my whole automation project with DDE. I'm not going to do it today. It's just too painful to think of. <laughs> oh come on! So, please share. Now you got us interested. Really? Yes. Do you want it? All right. So, I mean, I automated. I, I built a mail, uh, a mail out generation system that automated Word with DDE. That's like Windows three one VB three and Word four. Wow. And and it worked. The guys were able to work in Word to build their own templates uh, in Word that and they just had put markers in, and then the program would go in. The program handled all of the generating of lists and so on. And then would pull up Word and, and fire off the print jobs. The really evil part was they wanted to alternate the letter with the envelope. So we had envelope feeders and letters, and it would switch the printer contacts for each print. Oh, wow. Yikes. Yeah, that was the hard part. I ended up writing about five or six articles on that circa 1995. <laughs> Those were the days. Weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, my, my DDE scars will never heal. I've embraced the reality of that. Yeah, I, I'm not even going to talk about my experiences with it. They just weren't good. <laughs> they, yeah, they're they're hard. So, uh, again, we're we're looking at the diagram so we can sort of quote pieces of this. You've mentioned Hat just right. sort yeah. of off the cuff there, the software Hat Software Factory. Mm-hmm. What exactly does it do? Yeah, so Hat was a that was a big step with 2008. That allows us to separate the gory presentate you know dealing with the presentation code from the business flow of what you're trying trying to do so we took those adapters where all the code was all that was in one chunk of code and we moved like i said moved the the, the gory stuff into ddas data driven adapters and then allowed the business process to be done through windows workflow foundation 
So, like I said, you can you can drag it. We have, I think, six or seven activities. One is get text, one set text, one's click button. I forget all the, all the list of them there. And HAT stands for Hosted Application Toolkit. Let's exactly. Let's make sure people know that. But it's just that, yeah, you're right. You're just turning the process of pulling stuff off of an old app and putting it somewhere else into a workflow. Yes. Yeah. And then, so my little example for that is in the old, say, back in 2005, if, if you had some integration between two applications, say you were doing a point of sale or something and there were some commission is, issues in there, Christmas comes along and you, and you want to say, oh, well, if this guy pushes you know, a $100 sale, then between these two dates, we're going to give him a, a, bigger, a bigger commission. Well, if that was something that was dealt at the automation level with 2005, you would have to go in and alter the adapter and then compile it and ship it and everything like that. Right. With um, with workflow, you can just go into workflow, add an if statement in the middle and say, if, you know, this field is greater than 100, add more commission, otherwise use the normal commission. Yeah, it's interesting to hook it into workflow like that because then it's you're able to hand this off to the customer team going forward to make those sorts of tunings. Yep, yeah. Yeah, and with the friendly names I mentioned, the quote-unquote friendly names I mentioned in the bindings, it allows you to, like, do, like I said, print out the screens print down those friendly names and allow someone to sit there and start dragging and dropping and creating the automations. Everything is very, you know, pretty straightforward by that point. Well, and it, and, but it gets back to this idea of this is not an interim step to an app rewrite. This is a, uh, a way to leave the old app in place and still extend its functionality. Yes. Yeah, you can extend and integrate. So are any customers that are using this that you can actually talk about? There's a, there's a couple. Um, I hope I don't get myself in trouble. There's uh, Bell South was the one that initiated all this. Oh, cool. And that's where we came from. So they had uh, many, many uh, agents, like 10,000 or so agents running CCF. That was uh, an earlier version of CCF. And that, so the little history of CCF is originally it was a solution, almost like Enterprise Library or the, or the application blocks where they gave you the source code. Right, yeah. And, and that's how they started it. And then in 2005, we were brought in, and we made it into a product. So we split, you know, kind of said, this part should be public and reference material. And it's the, you know, that was given away. And then the internal parts, we renamespaced, um, jiggered it a bit, and then uh, you know, compiled it down and strong-named it, et cetera, et cetera. And that became the product. Okay. Lee, any thoughts to pricing on this? What I mean, it's obviously not like the application blocks and stuff that are free to give away. We got to buy it. Yes, yes. I don't know the numbers at the top of my head. Um, they've they've changed them, uh, but mainly it's broken down into uh, server server licenses and cal licenses. And so a lot of times it depends also how many you're going to buy and stuff like that. And you can work with your various Microsoft sales agents to to hash that part out. But you can, I mean, we've already shown that you can get at it with MSDN. So if you have a universal, you can certainly take it out for a spin. Absolutely, yes. It's just a question yeah. of what the actual deployed price is going to be. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know what the actual numbers are there. I poked Sorry around online and, and yeah, I, I found a couple of different sites with you know, prices in the range of like $2,500 without any explanation of what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As as is always with it seems like these kinds of products, pricing is a complicated part of the equation. Yeah, I, I think that comes out of the fact out of its history. It didn't come up through a normal product cycle or a normal product team, so uh, it's it's more on the uh, solution side. So you you tend to work with your SI a lot, and then it all gets mushed in with everything else you're doing there. 
So this is not really something that a, that a company would do on their own. They would bring in an integrator of some kind? Generally. Now, we have had customers who, who came in, said, just train us, and then they went off and did it. But normally, mm. the vast majority, uh, it's, either, yeah, it's either MCS, Avanade, Infosys, whoever, you know, is ready, ready and willing to, to take it and, and run with it with you. What happens when you have an application that's critical and then there's no way to, to access it? There's like no, it's tied up. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do. No way to get to it whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, will you then go to the, go to, um, modification or? I, I would think you'd have to at that point. I mean, if you just cannot get into it, it you're either going to have to. How would that present itself? Like what, what's the scenario under which an application is completely untouchable? We, I have yet to bump into one that completely is. There's, there's huh. The ones you you bump into the most, oddly enough, like VB labels are tough to get to. Wow. Every, everything else is fairly okay, but labels are tough. Oh, that's right. They're not Windows. Those are those Remember? lightweight controls we used to have. Yeah, yeah. Holy cow, I can't believe that just came I, to me. Dude, I, <laughs> all, all of a sudden, I'm 20 years old. Yeah. Oh, man. But we yeah. did find a way around that. There's actually a few things you can do. You can... Um, you can Tell the system through usually through Win32 APIs that you want to uh, watch a certain area on the screen and then tell it to repaint. Invalidate rectangle. Exactly. Yeah. Ooh! Wow! Hey. You pulled that one out. <laughs> Look at you. I didn't come up with that one. I just can pass it along. As long as I'm 20 <laughs> years old, I might as well just stay there. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, it's it, how much of the time are you finding, Lee, that you're actually working with old? Like VB apps, that sort of thing. A fair amount still. Yeah, there's just a, a fair amount out there that we're integrating with. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of legacy web apps, which you'd think. And I keep saying I keep saying web apps are really easy, but I was just looking at one one website and I won't mention their name. But they didn't put IDs on almost anything. So normally oh, no. you'd be able to say, you know, get me HTML element. Here's the ID name, and it would just return it to you. But there's virtually no IDs on the page. Right, so you literally have to count the number of text boxes to figure out the box yes. you want. Yeah, oh. and so and that's where so you can think, well, what happens when they change the page? Yeah, that's a pain, and that's what's nice about the XML bindings I mentioned is that you don't again you don't have to recompile anything. You would just change your bindings, and it will tell the system how to find the object. And so if they change the web page, you go in, change your bindings, and off you go. Yeah, let's just be honest here. We all wrote some really bad <laughs> ASP pages in the old days. Yeah, the term spaghetti code is oh, not even it's yeah. not even spaghetti code. Spaghetti code means there's a trail you can follow. <laughs> yeah. A couple noodles that are, that are out there. Yeah. Uh, I I uh, let's pull out worst case scenarios. I've got one for you. An web embedded ActiveX control. Oh. Yes, and we we've dealt with that. I myself haven't worked with that directly, but I know I know quote unquote, I know people who have. Yeah. And um what you end up doing, matter of fact, with uh, CCF 2009 SP1, which is coming out, um, they have what they call, what are they, refer, how are they referring to them? I think they're calling them composite DDAs, which allows you to chain a DDA. So, you, so your first DDA would be the web DDA. Right. That's the one that works with, and that's a nice everyday web page. Then you bump in the ActiveX control, which is pretty much a Win32 app. Right. So you, can you, you chain in the Win32 DDA and talk to it with that. Yeah, that makes sense. It's still going to be a bear, but it could be done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I still poked around a little bit on the licensing here, and obviously there's some kind of server license, and there's CALs, 
what additional software do I need to run CCF? I mean, I see that there's databases and so on. Do I need a SQL Server license in there? Do I need a BizTalk license? Yes, no, no BizTalk license is needed. Although uh, frequently, BizTalk ends up in the mix by the time you're done, especially for bigger customers right. somewhere along the line. SQL is required. Um, we do use uh, IAS as well. So I okay. believe the clients are all XP SP2 onward. And the servers are Win th- Windows 2003, and I think they're validating Windows 2008 right now. Okay. So, yeah, so you need a Windows license, which will get you your IIS. The big expense yeah. here might be yep. a SQL Server license, although odds are you already have one, right? Very likely. a dedicated server for this. Yes. Yeah, very likely. Most of the services and data that CCF is concerned with is very framework-oriented, so it doesn't tend to be very big um, because all the, all the data – of your line of business applications, your LOBs, they're stored where they're supposed to be stored. CCF just worries about its framework level type stuff. What applications do I need to load? Who's allowed to see them? Little, you know, light things like that. So do you find that ultimately CCF plays the role of coordinating the apps, like knowing which app to start? It's the, the, the top layer, your sort of portal view into the applications? Absolutely. Yes, yes. There's different types of applications and different t- times we load them. So we have hosted applications in general, and that can be a web app, Win32, or what we refer to as a host of control, which is really a user control that's, that's built up based on one of our base classes that just snaps easily into CCF. It's, right. it's pretty much the cab comp- uh, version of a smart part. Mm-hmm. And then we have when are these apps loaded. We have global and you can load globals for two different reasons. One is maybe have just some huge application that you can only run once for whatever reason. Yeah. You would load that up globally and just have it sitting and ready to go. Um, or you could have, say, a, a portal page or a queue page that you want, and, and that's going to, you know, this queue page comes up, and you're like, okay, well, this is the next line item I need to work on. Double-click on it, and that starts what we call the session. And you can have multiple sessions running, but let's just stick with one. Your session kicks in, and all your session-level applications start. And using Surface integration, we would jump to the appropriate record in each application for you. So you get this, you know, uh, you you maybe have one application running. You double-click, all of a sudden five more apps running, and they all jump right to where they need to be. So you're not Hmm. jumping back and forth doing search routines on all of them yourself. Right, the the app's doing that for you. So you've got these bunch of windows open, but they're positioning themselves for you. Yes. To the correct data. Our reference mm-hmm. UIs that we sh- that are shipped, ones that what we call the tab format, and that's pretty much um, one big application. It's got a couple sub panels, and then the main applications appear in the middle, and they're in ta- they're in tabs. So <clears throat> the other one is called the the toolbar, and it, it kind of looks like the start bar at the bottom, except it appears at the top, and then all the sub windows, your applications, and everything else are floating around your desktop free, almost like the old VB one and two where all the inner, inner parts were kind of just floating around separate from the... Right, right. right. The old... Uh, what am I thinking of? The, 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 the multi-form view. Uh, yeah, MDI. Yeah, MDI. The document yeah. interface. Yeah. And you, get, you frequently got lost. You're like, what's connected to what? Yeah, that was a horror show. <laughs> um, but what, what that allows you to do, that version, is allows you to maximize your real estate. So sometimes an application wants to be maximized. I mean, just the number of fields on it. Uh, and the toolbar version allows you to you have more real estate per application. Um, how I, I got to imagine testing's got to be very difficult. How does how do you go about testing an application once it's 
you know, supposedly wrapped up and put in the system. Yeah, that that is good. You yeah, you really have to have a good test team who who knows your use cases, and because uh, because there's two things. One is making sure that it does what you expect it to do, and then two is that somehow because of the integration or because you're you've pulled this application into CCF that you haven't broken something that you didn't expect at all. Yeah. Because when you reparent a window, sometimes funny things can happen. Um, yeah, that's just it's 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 hard to use Kate or sorry, it's hard to unit test those. Uh, it tends yeah. to be a very more manual, intensive uh, testing scenario. And I imagine that testing can take a long time, especially if there's behavior that you have no control over that you have to now work around. Yes, like modals and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Well, and also imagine, you know, old apps have bugs that often, you know, there's no means to fix, and you've got to work around those too. That's true, and sometimes you can alleviate that. If, if it's a predictable bug, yeah. <laughs> if, <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, that's you, funny. I, I, I know that laugh, <laughs> the laugh of, I have a story I'm not allowed to tell. <laughs> no comment. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, okay. So go ahead, tell what you can tell. <laughs> oh, actually, I was just, uh, I thought you were talking to, to everyone else. I was just uh, laughing because that predictable bug sounded silly to me. I don't know. It's just kind of, if, predict- if it's that predictable, it's kind of odd that it stayed around that long. Sorry right. about that. Yeah, yeah. I've I've run into users that were having they didn't recognize something as a bug. Mm-hmm. I do this particular task, the whole app fails on a dialogue, yeah. but then when I go in and do it again, it works. So that's just my <laughs> workflow. Yep, I bomb the app and then I run it again and it works. So you must be elated when you come across an application that actually you know um, logs errors to a to the system log or something where you can actually read it and do something with it. There, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there's also some other little assets uh, to CCF that kind of nice. It's it's very provided because it's a framework. It's sort of a framework that sits on top. Well, it's not sort of. It is a framework that sits on top of the .NET framework um, that allow you know. So our logging system is is provider based. So you can snap in a, a file based logging system. We ship we ship a file one event log. Um, uh, what, what are the other ones? Uh, email, so you can send off emails. So uh, one of the scenarios there is, um, oh, another one is a web server. So all your all your error tracing can go through a web service. But say you have a scenario where you have a ton of agents, and and one of them for some reason just starts having a problem. So you could have using your our provider system, you have all the agents. Um, Sending their errors to a web service, and then the the ones that are true errors, you know, like severity of one or something, they could actually fire off a, an email to tech support. That tech support person can come find that agent, um, and and swap the logging system so that it writes to a local log file while they're trying to fix the problem, as opposed to trying to you know keep getting emails every few minutes or something. Like right. That. And then when they're done, they fix it, they swap it back, and then go home. One of the other aspects of this then is building actually consistent error reporting, logging, event management across these diverse apps. Yes. So we have also an auditing system. So there's a difference between logging and auditing. Because a lot of times your call centers and stuff, they need to know what their agents are doing at all times. So, oh, uh, for both for sometimes for almost like SOX compliance type stuff versus just, you know, what if you have six apps, and you think everyone needs it, and after a while, you run a report, and you realize that nobody's using application number six. So you right. can say, you know, why, why is no one using this? And either it's so buggy, or frankly, just the system has changed, no one needs it anymore, kick it out. 
Yeah. Uh, so we audit all that, session starting, session closing, what apps are used, how long they're used, all that, that type of stuff. And, and you can hook into that yourself as you write your own adapters and stuff as well. Uh, have you run across apps that, uh, and I've certainly dealt with customers like this, where they have, they're running certain old applications won't run on current versions of Windows, and they're running them in virtual machines just to keep them going. Interesting. Um, I know they. I know we're working with Citrix. I know we can house Agent Desktop on Citrix, so you just do a normal desktop into Citrix and, and run from there. I also know that we're able to um, host an application from Citrix. I right. don't know anyone. That's interesting. That who's running through a virtual. You're saying like a virtual PC or from a virtual server? Is what you're. Well, what we ran into was an old 16-bit app that. Mm-hmm broke moving to Win95, much less anything else. Got it. And so just to keep it running, they ran it in a VM running Windows 3.1. So that would be very interesting. I, uh, yeah, I haven't stumbled across that. I do know they were looking a lot into, uh, what was it called, SoftGrid, which was oh, sort yeah. of app virtualization. That is a very cool technology. Now, I've never seen that work, but... <laughs> and it's not sort of. It's now Microsoft application virtualization, right? They bought yes, SoftGrid. Yeah, they, they did buy it. Yeah. So did, has has either of you guys worked with that or seen it working? I, I've only seen demos. Yeah. Yeah, and we've done shows on Run As Radio about SoftGrid. Yeah, well, I know. I know all about what it's supposed to do, but I've never seen a you know demo of it working. <laughs> uh, I do know they were looking into it. I, I don't know what's become of it late, uh, more, more recently, though. Well, it just seems like there's so many parallel solutions out there. I mean, even just the conflict between Cab, Prism, and CCF. Mm-hmm. And you know, Microsoft has all these different things going at once, and there's not one right way. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, you get, they got a lot of balls in the air. <laughs> for sure. Well, you, you just think that SoftGrid would be a natural for the problem case that is CCF. Yeah, I, you know, when we sat down. We we only discussed at a very high level. This is, probably, this is actually a year, maybe a couple years ago. You know, we were uh, we were really discussing how we'd hook into it and how we'd use it. And like I said, and honestly, I don't know what's what's happened since then. Um, I hadn't heard anything. Well, Lee, um, we're we're coming down to the end of the show. I know it's an an early show, but I think we've covered just about everything that we want to. So, uh, is there any last minute things that you want to throw out there, or resources you want to point people to? Um, yeah, I guess in, in reference to CCF, you can go to Microsoft.com slash CCF. That's the main, uh, you know, the website to start from. It is up on MSDN, as we discussed. Um, I don't have a blog yet, but I'm hoping to, to start one. I just started at Microsoft, you know, 2008, or December 2008, so I haven't really got a chance to get around to kicking that off, but hopefully I'll have one up shortly. Lee Zuka, it's been our guest, and uh, thanks again, Lee. Thank you. Sounds great, and we'll talk to you next time. .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. 
For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a, a